week two of our parable series, The Moral of the Story. And a parable is what, for those of you who were with us last week? It's a story with a, a point or a moral, right? Yes, you guys are on it tonight. This is good. Um, it's a story with a point. And so it's, it's not an allegory. We're not meant to pull apart every single little detail and say, well, this represents that, and this represents this, and, and this is the Antichrist, and here's Donald Trump over here, and here's Russia, and, and this is everything else that's happening, uh, and, and that's what, what all this is, is about. No, a, a parable is, it's a story. It's something uh, that could have actually taken place in real life, so it's relatable. Um, it's not a fairy tale. It's not made up. You're not going to find talking animals in a parable or anything else like that. But it's a story that's meant to drive home a point, and it's meant to drive home a, a singular point. And so that's, uh, that's what we're looking at with the parables of Jesus and studying them this, uh, this semester, this spring in third nine. As we get into this one, though, I want you to think about the cost of some of the decisions that we make. Uh, some of you may know the name Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, some of you have no clue who that is. But Kyler Murray was the uh, starting quarterback of the Oklahoma University Sooners, um, great player, stellar athlete, uh, phenomenal quarterback, and he's most likely going to be drafted in the upcoming NFL draft. The problem is, Kyler Murray is also an outstanding baseball player. And Kyler Murray was drafted in the last MLB draft by the Oakland Athletics. And so th- this is a rare situation. You've got a two-sport athlete that's at the top of his sport in both sports that he plays. So he's drafted by the Oakland A's. The Oakland A's say, hey, we want you to, to come and play baseball for us. And in fact, they, he was drafted in the first round by the Oakland A's. So they, they said, you're really good. We're going to use our, our first round selection on you. But then he's also got this football sport that he's playing. And he's got a lot of pro teams in football that are saying, we see you as a potential quarterback in the NFL. So Kyler Murray has a decision to make. He has to decide, does he want to pursue baseball or does he want to pursue football? And there was a big to-do about a week ago because the Oakland Athletics were rumored to be negotiating with him and potentially even offering a, a, an unproven player a, an MLB contract, which is unheard of, to get him to sign with them. And not a minor league contract, a major league contract to get him to choose baseball over football. They didn't end up doing that, and, and Kyler Murray declared for the NFL draft. But it's still undecided what he's going to do. But no matter what he decides, there's going to be a cost to his decision. In fact, if he decides to play football, he's going to have to pay back the $4.5 million signing bonus that he signed for baseball with the Oakland Athletics. I, I know this is not like, man, this guy's suffering hard, isn't he? Because um, he's going to make millions no matter what he does. But if he gives up baseball to play football, then he's never going to be the baseball player that he grew up dreaming that he would be. And if he gives up football to play baseball, then he's never going to know, could he have cut it in the NFL? Could he have been a great NFL football player? Now that's in the realm of the absurd. You and I aren't deciding, okay, well, which multi-million dollar career do I want to go into? Maybe some of you guys are. If you are, um, let me sit down and talk to you about Compass 2020 afterwards and uh, planting churches um, and what that's all about. But we know what it's like to make a decision that costs us, right? How many of you guys have ever been on a diet before? Okay, a few of you. Some of you are like, wait, oh wait, what am I admitting to here? And they put their hands down. Um, yeah, you, a, a diet's not fun, right? I don't care how much pretty people they put on the, the TV ads and talk about how amazing and life-changing this is. Number one, you look at them and you're like, you didn't go on that diet. You've been in the gym from the time that you were born. And then number two, it's just you, you have to give up things for a diet, don't you? 
you, you can't just eat whatever you want. You have to eat healthy. You have to eat things that don't taste good. Um, things that are called like organic in things. Uh, and so the, uh, diets aren't fun. But why do we diet? Because there's a goal in mind that we have. So we're willing to pay a cost in order to achieve a goal. Same thing with, uh, with gifts. Some of you have loved ones in your life that you're like, you know what, I really want to buy a nice gift for this person. And so you sacrifice things, you pay a cost, not only to, to actually buy the gift, but in saving up for the gift, you're going to withhold spending money on other things in order to purchase this to give to the person. Why? Because you have in your mind the end, the goal, the outcome. You know that it's going to be worth it when the payoff comes and when you actually get to give the gift and see their joy and see their excitement. Well, that's what following Jesus is like for us. Salvation is totally, 100%, beyond a shadow of a doubt, let me make this absolutely clear, free to us. It is a gift that we receive by grace through faith, and that's not of ourselves, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Salvation, being saved, is not a work that we do. Our salvation cost God a lot. It didn't cost us anything, okay? But discipleship costs us greatly. Okay, so there's a a differentiation that I want to make there. There's a difference between our salvation, which is totally free to us. We didn't earn it. We didn't merit it. We didn't put a down payment. We didn't contribute to our salvation. God worked that, wrought that in us, but there's a difference between that and our discipleship, following Jesus. See, following Jesus has a cost associated with it. If we're going to stand up and say, you know what, I want to be counted as one of Jesus' followers, there's going to be things that we're going to have to sacrifice. There's going to be difficult things in life. But when we see the end, just like when we look at the, the concept of dieting and when we look at the concept of buying somebody a gift, but even more so, when we look at what the end result is of discipleship, that is that we get to hear one day, well done, my good and faithful servant. We get to be welcomed into eternity. We get to spend eternity in the presence of God in Revelation chapter 21 where there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness. And as Pastor Mike preached this morning, no more death. When we realize that that's the result, whatever cost we have to pay on this side of eternity becomes totally worth it. Matthew chapter 14 is where we're going to be. Sorry, not Matthew, Luke. Luke chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 is great too, but it's not what I'm preaching out of. Matthew chapter 14 is, is not what I'm preaching out of. Luke chapter 14 is, stop it. Stop saying Matthew. Luke. Luke chapter 14, Jesus is telling parables again. And at the beginning, Jesus is, just to set the table and get the context straight, Jesus is having dinner with a Pharisee. And as he's having dinner with a Pharisee, Jesus begins to tell these parables about who the true followers of Jesus really are. And as he's telling these parables, it becomes clear to those around him that the true followers of Jesus are not the people that everybody thought were the true followers of God. They're not the Pharisees. They're not the self-righteous. They're not the uber-religious. The true followers of Jesus are different. And so then he turns to the crowds that were there, that had gathered, that were nearby, that were listening in. And he starts to talk to them. And he begins doing that in verse 25 of Luke chapter 14. Pick up in verse 25. It says this. It says, now great crowds accompanied him. It's one thing that we need to notice about Jesus. When Jesus is on earth doing his earthly ministry, he's famous. People hear Jesus is going to be someplace and they show up in droves. Crowds flock to him. Verse 25, great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, 
he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Somebody didn't teach Jesus about church growth practices, apparently, because that's not a a great way to build a, a large following. To start talking about being devoted to him at such a level that every other relationship that you have this side of, of eternity looks like hatred. To talk about denying yourself, dying to yourself, picking up your cross daily to follow him. Th- that's not a way to win followers. In fact, there's a, a church that just planted recently uh, down in the San Diego area. And, and here's their, this is super small. I'm, I'm going to read some things, but this is just to show you that I'm not making this stuff up. It's on their webpage here under about. Here's some highlights, uh, if, if I can call them that from this church. It says this, our service starts at 11 and only lasts one hour. Your time is valuable, so we will finish by noon. Yeah, we don't want to be taking up your time with God and Jesus, so we'll get you in and out in an hour. And then it talks about a typical order of service. Opening song, welcome and video, another song, this is on their website, another song, 30-minute message on how the Bible relates to your life closing song. And then another line from this page is this, while you relax in the adult service, your kids will be safe and happy in a high quality program designed just for them. See, in in the world in which we live in today, the Christianity that people want is this. They want it to be convenient. They want Christianity to be safe and relaxing and convenient and short. But that's not the type of Christianity that Jesus was preaching. That's not the type of Christianity that Jesus was calling genuine, true followers of of Christ to. This is a discipleship that costs you nothing, but it will get you nowhere. The type of discipleship that we have in view, that Jesus had in view, is this, that you should be devoted to him above every other relationship, that you should prize no relationship more than you prize your relationship with Christ. And that you should make it your goal every day to die to yourself, to die to your preferences, your ambitions, your goals, in order to say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I don't care about my goals, my preferences, my dreams, my ambitions anymore. I care about what you want for me. And our two parables that we're looking at tonight drive home that point for us. Pick back up in verse 28. Verse 28, Jesus says this, he starts out the parables. He says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying this man set out to build and was not able to finish. Or, second parable, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So much like last week, we're looking at two, two, two parables and, and both of them are communicating the same idea. And that is this, there's a cost to discipleship. That there's a cost to discipleship, to following Jesus the way that Jesus wants us to follow him. This first parable starts out with the story of building a tower. And this is not something that you're going to see your neighbor doing. And and if he is, you're going to look at him kind of funny and maybe call the authorities and say, hey, I don't know what's going on, but I'm not comfortable with the tower being built next door. But it was common during this time. They would build towers to store all their possessions, to store all their grain. 
They would build towers as, as, as defense mechanisms in their homes where they could look out and see if there were any enemies coming in to threaten them. And so Jesus is using something that would have been familiar and very relatable to the people that were listening to him. And he's saying, which of you would, would sit down and, and build a tower or start building a tower without first stepping back and saying, wait a minute, do I actually have the resources to pull this off? And he says, look, if, if you start to build this tower and then all of a sudden you, you get halfway through and you don't have the resources to pull it off, it's going to be humiliating to you. And what you're going to be left with is this half-built thing hanging out in your front yard that everybody's going to walk by and know that you were just an idiot who didn't have the, the, the means to be able to finish this. We can all relate to this, right? If you go to the grocery store, you go to Ralph's, you go to wherever you, you like to go and, and buy your groceries, you're not going to go in there and fill up a whole cart without knowing ahead of time that you can pay for it. In fact, you know the feeling of, of maybe having gone somewhere and you get to the checkout line and you reach back and, and you go, oh no, I forgot my wallet. And you know that, that feeling, right? It's embarrassing to kind of go, I don't have a way to pay for this. So we can relate to what Jesus is talking about here. And he, he's saying, if, if we don't count the cost before considering to build a tower, it's, it's just foolish. And he's connecting that to our relationship with Christ. He's like, look, we've got to count the cost to following Jesus, to making sure that, that we're all in with what it's going to cost us to follow Jesus because we don't want to get a little ways down the road with Jesus and then say, you know what, I'm tapping out. I, I, I don't, I'm not really, I don't have what it takes. The second parable he talks about is this king who's facing a, an enemy who's attacking. And this enemy who's coming against him has twice the troops that this king has. The king has 10,000. The enemy has 20,000. Or the, the opposition has 20,000. And so this king who has 10,000, Jesus is saying it makes sense that he would step back and take inventory. He would consider the cost of what it would be to go into battle against a king in such an unwise way. And he's going to say, you know what, the, the better option, the better part of wisdom is to go and try to make peace with this, uh, this opponent, this enemy, rather than for me to just be obliterated by going in there thinking that I can do this on my own. Again, we can relate to this, right? If it's the whole mentality, if you can't beat them, what? Yes, join them. And it's costly, right? We're talking about counting the cost. It's costly to admit, I can't do this. This person's superior to me. I can't defeat them. I can't overcome them. That grates against our flesh. That grates against who we are. That grates against our self-sufficiency. And Jesus is saying, following him is just like that. We need to be able to count the cost and say, I'm willing to die to myself. I'm willing to die to my self-sufficiency. I'm, I'm willing to die to me standing up and saying, hey, I, I can do this on my own. And so what point is Jesus making about discipleship by starting these two parables this way? Discipleship, he says, is going to cost you. Following Jesus isn't easy. He's not interested in, in Christianity being convenient for you. He's not interested in making the Bible relevant to your life. He's making, interested in making your life conform to the message of the Bible. Point number one for us tonight is this. Count the cost of following Jesus. Count the cost of following Jesus. Again, Jesus has already made it clear, not just here, but other places as well, that following him means total allegiance, total devotion. Following Jesus is not about being safe and comfortable and relaxed. It's about surrendering to him. It's about submitting to him. It's about saying, okay, whatever the cost is, this side of eternity, I'm all in. 
because I know where you're taking me. You think back to, to John chapter 14, Jesus is talking with his disciples not long before the cross at this point. And he says, hey, look, I'm, I'm going away from you. And they say, well, where are you going? Because we want to come. He says, where, where I'm going, you can't come. But know this, if I was going away, I wouldn't tell you that I was coming back for you if I weren't actually going to come back for you. And he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come in and take you to be with me where I am. And that's the end of discipleship, is knowing that Jesus right now for you is preparing a place for you and he's going to come back at some point and we don't know when. It's going to differ for all of us, but he's going to come back at some point and take us to that place that he's preparing for us right now, which is what makes the cost of discipleship worth it. But I want to be honest with you guys and tell you that being a Christian is, is, is not meant to be comfortable here. That's why Peter says that we're strangers and aliens that we're exiles, that we're foreigners, that this world is not my home. Jesus made that clear to his disciples. Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 25. Jesus is getting ready to send his disciples out to go out and to, to declare the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's telling them as they're getting ready to go out, he's saying, look, I'm gonna send you out as wolves. No, sorry that, check that. Sheep in the midst of wolves. That doesn't go well, right? You guys have seen planet Earth. You, you, you get what happens, right? The predator comes after the, the prey. The sheep is the prey in that regard. And Jesus is telling his followers, I'm gonna send you out and you are going to be sheep in the midst of wolves. Things are not going to go well for you. In the same passage, he talks about being turned over to the, the, the courts and being brought before governors and being charged and being beaten and being flogged. And this is the message that Jesus is giving his followers as he's trying to uh, help them to understand that, that following him is going to come with a cost, but that cost is going to be worth it. And then there's John 15. John 15, 18 through 20. Jesus is there speaking again with his disciples in the upper room. And he's telling them, he says, look, the world has hated me. They're going to hate you. He said, if, if, if they hated the master, they're going to hate the, the servant. We are his servants. We are his followers. And if we're going to stand up and, and align ourselves with Christ, then we need to expect that this world is not going to be favorable to that. And then, of course, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, where Peter is talking about the cross. And he says, one of the purposes of the cross, not the main, not the foundational, but one of the purposes of the cross was that he left us an example for how we should suffer. Again, the message from Jesus from the beginning, salvation, yes, is, is absolutely 100% totally free, but discipleship will cost you. Being a follower of Jesus in a world that is hostile to Christ will cost you. What are some of the realistic costs of following Jesus for you? Maybe it's friends, time, comfort, pleasure, reputation, plans, ambitions, dreams. But I want to ask you, is it worth it? Is what you gain in following Jesus worth what you might lose by following Jesus? So many want to have Jesus and their sin at the same time. 
in men's Bible study, which I also lead, we've been looking at we've been looking at uh, at Second Samuel chapter eleven and chapter twelve. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12, you've got David's sin with Bathsheba, and you've got David's cover-up of that sin, and, and you've got David then in Nathan in chapter 12, and you've got the confrontation there. And David had been harboring this unconfessed, unrepentant of sin in his life that whole time. And Nathan comes and confronts him on it, and finally David brings it to light and confesses it. But before that, David's distant and dry and, and feeling not connected to the Lord. In fact, he writes about that feeling in Psalm chapter 32. He says this in Psalm chapter 32, verse 3, For when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Guys, when we harbor unconfessed sin in our lives, that's what happens to us. If right now you're, you're sitting out there tonight and you're going, I feel distant from the Lord, I feel spiritually dry, Man, when I think about my relationship with Christ, it's just, it's depressing to me. Let me question and, and push on you and say, is there harbored sin in your life? Because you can't have both. You can't say, I want to follow Jesus and I want to hold on to my sin. Because what Jesus is telling you is Jesus says, I want you to follow me and let go of your sin and leave it behind you. So that's part of the cost of following Jesus. But there's more to it as well. There's a lot who want to have both Jesus and unsaved family, friends, boyfriends, girlfriends. We want one foot in the world and one foot in Christianity. And that's not going to work either. When you become a follower of Jesus, it's inevitable that you're going to grow apart and grow distant from those who aren't followers of Jesus. Not because you hate them, not because you're anti-people who don't love Jesus and don't follow Jesus, but your affections should have changed. Your desires should change. The, the intimacy in a friendship that you're looking for is going to change and going to transform. And an unbeliever can't meet that for you. Not only that, Jesus commands us not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And yes, we throw that out there in relationships, and certainly that applies to dating relationships, and certainly that applies to marriage. But in the context, that's also applying to business relationships too. That applies to, to everything. If you are a follower of Christ and your closest friends are not believers, you're doing it wrong. And that's part of counting the cost is being willing to say, look, I'm, I'm not going to shun you. I'm not going to totally abandon you. But my closest relationships, I need people in my life, brothers and sisters in my life who are going to care about my walk with Jesus, who are going to be following Jesus with me and, and encouraging me to follow Jesus. Part of the cost of following Christ. Another area to consider some Christians want both Jesus and ease and comfort in this world. We saw that church. That's not going to fly either. We've already seen the statements that Jesus makes about what it looks like to follow him. As a follower of Jesus, you're going to be uncomfortable in this world. In fact, John says in 1 John 2.15, do not love the world. People, no, not people, do not love the things of the world. Do not love the things that are the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Do not be infatuated with those things. Why? Because they're not from God, they're from the world. And the world, along with all of its desires, are passing away. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Do you see the juxtaposition there? We're not going to be comfortable in this world as believers in Christ. And we can't be incognito Christians. That doesn't work. 
And so Jesus was warning the crowds and warning us that we need to be intentional to count the cost before deciding I'm all in, I'm ready to follow him. But he goes on there and he talks about what that cost looks like back in the parables. Again, he talks about the, the one man who, when he is building the tower, realizes that he actually doesn't have the, the funds to, to be able to do. And it says, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. You might think, well, is that really a big deal? In that time, in that context, in that culture, it was a huge deal because this is an honor-shame culture. We don't live in that culture anymore. Social media shot that out of the, the, the picture a long time ago. We don't live in an honor-shame culture. This was an honor-shame culture. For somebody to be embarrassed and humiliated and shamed in this culture was the end of their life. But then there's the, the military commander, the king, who has 10,000 going up in a, against an army of 20,000. And you say, well, what, what would he be risking? Well, he would be risking total obliteration. And the cost, though, that comes to him is the cost of self-denial, saying, I, I can't beat you. I can't win. I can't do this on my own. It's the cost of forsaking self-righteousness and admitting that we need Christ. Just like in the parable, Jesus says that king sends an envoy to make peace. We need to make sure that we have peace with God. Peace with God is going to require us to say, I'm inferior. He is so much greater, better, superior than I am. It's the message of the gospel. The first cost of discipleship is the cost of our pride and self-sufficiency. We can't trust our own self-righteousness. We can't trust in our own good works to save us. It's 3.20. There. Hold that no one is justified by the law, by works of the law. One is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. In other words, I can't be a good enough person to be saved. I can't do enough good to be acceptable to God. No one is justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I think Jesus knew as he was giving these parables that there might be a temptation for us to trust in our works, to boast in our perseverance even after that first parable, are you willing to, to count the cost of what it's going to mean to follow Christ? And, and maybe we bow up and we say, yeah, I'm good. I can follow him. I'm, I'm willing to give it all up. Let's go. Look at me. Look how holy I am. Look how righteous I am because I'm willing to sacrifice everything to follow Jesus. And that's why he follows this up and talks about the, the two kings there. And he says, yes, but remember, part of the cost is admitting that you are totally powerless and helpless. And in fact, that's the foundational cost of following Jesus. So Jesus emphasizes the, the danger of failing to count the cost here, the humiliation, the shame, and, and also for the king, the, the danger of just being totally wiped out. That's the message that we need to, to consider as well tonight. It's this point number two, consider the danger of ignoring the cost. Yes, we need to count the cost of following Jesus, but we also, in counting the cost of following Jesus, we need to ask ourselves, so what happens if I don't count the cost? What happens if I just stand up and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. What happens then? Well, failing to count the cost of following Christ produces what we call nominal Christianity. Being a Christian in name only. 
nominal Christianity is any brand of Christianity that builds a foundation on something other than the finished and accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Nominal Christianity is any brand of Christianity that builds a foundation on something other than the finished and accomplished, the finished and complete work of Jesus Christ on the cross. There's two types, I think, predominantly of nominal Christians. There's nominal Christians like those from the first parable who are Christians when it's convenient. They're not really counting the cost because they don't want to think about the cost. They're just going to rush headlong into trying to build this tower because they're like, hey, look, everybody else has a tower. I need a tower. Let's start building the tower. They're not thinking about what it's going to cost them, what they're going to have to give up, what they're going to have to sacrifice. They're Christians as long as the world is okay with their Christianity. They're Christians who may say, yeah, well, the Bible has some good things in it, but it's in need of some cultural updating. It has some errors. It has some contradictions in it. These are Christians, and I hope you hear me use that term loosely, who want Jesus to fit into their lives rather than conforming their lives to Jesus. The failure of this group to count the cost will be devastating on the final day when they realize that they weren't following Jesus at all. Luke 9, 26, Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. That's sobering for us to think about because this world wants us to be ashamed of Christ. And Jesus is saying in Luke 9, 26, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. So that's the first group of nominal Christians. Christians when it's convenient. Then there's the other group of nominal Christians, like those from the second parable, who are Christians because they've grown up in the church. They're the king with 10,000 up against the king with 20,000 going, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Why? Why are you good? Well, because I've read through the Bible multiple times. I've memorized so many verses. I went to Awana when I was growing up. I've been a part of Bible studies. I've, maybe I've even led Bible studies. They show up at church every weekend. They're carrying the right Bible. Their Bible looks like it's beaten up, marked up, and beat up, and bruised up. And, and this is the type of people that are boasting in everything that they've done. And their confidence that they're okay with God is because look at my track record. But the failure of that group is just as tragic. Because on that final day, they'll realize that they're, they're not okay. Jesus describes this group in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, there he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not? Now look at what they appeal to here. Did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? So they're appealing to their track record. They're appealing to their spiritual resume, so to speak. And it's not, it's not a bad resume. I haven't cast out any demons. I haven't done mighty works. So these guys are going, look at all the stuff that we've done. Jesus, let us in. And Jesus is going to say to them what? Depart from me for why? I never knew you. See, this is the group of of nominal Christians that are standing up and they're saying to Jesus, I know you because look at how good I am. And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you though. I never knew you. Why? Because you never did the will of my father. What does the will of the father begin with? 
It begins with the cost that Jesus is talking about in the second parable by saying, I am helpless. I am a wretch. I am sinful. I am unrighteous. I can't, uh, uh, I can't do anything about that. I need Jesus. That group doesn't count that cost. They're not willing to die to their self-righteousness. In fact, they've put all their confidence in their self-righteousness. That first group, that group of Christians that are Christians when it's comfortable, they've built their foundation on easy believism. Their Christianity is a, a label that they carry around. At one point, they prayed a prayer, they walked an aisle, but they, they never take their sin too seriously. Most of them might say something like this, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I believe in God. The Bible is all right. It has some good things to say, but Jesus wouldn't want us to be so focused on the rules. He wouldn't want us to be so judgmental. The Jesus I follow loves everyone and is accepting of everyone. That's not following Jesus. That second group has built their Christianity on a foundation of self-righteousness. Again, their confidence is in their resume, their track record. And so I wonder where you find yourself on this spectrum. Hopefully on neither end, neither extreme, but do you find yourself leaning one way or the other on that spectrum? See, the true Christian, the genuine follower of Jesus, builds his Christianity on the foundation of Christ's righteousness alone. They take sin seriously because they know what it costs Jesus. They take obedience seriously because they know how much God has, has given for them and they want to respond rightly to him. And their motivation daily is to love God because of how much God has loved them. There's a huge danger in ignoring the cost of discipleship. Jesus ends the parable with a sobering statement in verse 33. He says this after the parables. He says, so therefore... In other words, in conclusion, any one of you who does not renounce all he has cannot be my disciple. Any one of you who does not renounce all he has cannot be my disciple. That word renounce means to, to deny, to bid farewell, to give up. Jesus says anyone who does not renounce, give up, deny everything that he has, all your possessions, all of your 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 values, all of your relationships, if you will not give those up to follow Jesus, you're not worthy of being his disciple. Now, let me couch that by saying this. He's not gonna ask you to give up everything necessarily. For some of you, he may. But you need to be ready to give up everything to follow Jesus. If there's anything in your life at all that you have a, a thought in your mind, I'm willing to give up everything except for this to follow Jesus. Whatever that thing in your mind is what's called an idol. It has more devotion in your life than Christ. And it needs to be get gone. It needs to be dealt with. Again, salvation is free, but there is a great cost to discipleship. Galatians 2.20, Paul writes there, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Everything Jesus. 
I mean, we like to talk about our priorities, right? And say, well, uh, my priorities are, are my, are God and then family and then church. And we feel good. We're patting ourselves on the back because we've got God. Number one, the problem is you never get beyond God. It needs to be God in everything. And if there's an arena of your life, if there's something in your life where you can't see God fitting into that, get rid of it, renounce it, deny it, put it out, get, get it gone because you don't need it. And Jesus doesn't want you to have it. Galatians 6.14, Paul says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It goes back to the mindset of what we talked about last time together with the man with the treasure in the field and the, the pearl merchant finding these things and saying, man, these things are priceless. I'm gonna give up everything that I have because of what I've found. That's what we're talking about here. That's true discipleship. That's true following after Jesus. And it's so worth it when you realize where you're going when you're following Jesus. What you're gaining by following Jesus. I don't know if you guys have ever read Pilgrim's Progress, but it's like Pilgrim's Progress when he's going through this area called Vanity Fair. And Vanity Fair has everything that the world wants to to offer us in replacement for finding our satisfaction and our joy in Christ. And all the temptations are there, but, but Pilgrim the whole time is, is maintaining his focus on where he's headed and how much better where he's headed is than everything that this world offers us. The problem is, is what C.S. Lewis identified, and that is that we're far too easily satisfied. C.S. Lewis said this, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I think that's the, the, the root problem when it comes to following Jesus. Is we're so easily satisfied by the stuff that this world offers to us. And we don't realize that Jesus is so much better. So much better. Guys, if you're a believer out there, I think you, you've had, I pray, I would hope that you've had glimpses of that in your life. Where you, the Lord has been kind to you and you've had a season of just feeling like you are on fire spiritually for Christ. Where you can't wait to get in the word of God, where things are just going well, where, you, where you're thinking clearly about his word, you're memorizing scripture and, and you're going, man, I, I love this feeling right now. It's better than anything else this world offers you. It's better than any high this world offers you. It's better than any opportunity to escape through alcohol, through drugs, through sex, whatever it is that this world offers you. Following Jesus is better than that. So our third point tonight is this. Cultivate a love that negates the cost. Cultivate a love that negates the cost. Do you love Jesus Is he more valuable to you than all that this world has to offer? Guys, if I tell you that I love my wife and I would do anything for my wife, but you look through my phone and you see these numbers of other women in text conversations with other women, how much will my words mean at that point telling you I love my wife? Nothing. And yet that's how we treat Christ. I love Jesus but our lives are filled with other lovers. 
Again, if, if your words are not backed up by actions, your words are, are meaningless. Luke 6, 43 through 44, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. You're gonna be known by your fruit, by, by the things that you do, by the things that you, you how you, you back up your words of saying, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Okay, let's, let's see it, let's live it out. Again, not because that's gonna earn you salvation, but because once you're saved, you become a disciple of Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus is going to cost you a lot on this side of eternity but it's worth it. Too often we're not willing to do this. We're willing to say that we're all in, to say that we're ready to renounce everything to follow Jesus, but when the rubber meets the road and it's time to actually do it, we don't do it. If you're in a relationship with an unbeliever, you've got to get out of that relationship. Period, end of story. It's open, willful disobedience to God. It's not going where you want it to go. Jesus is not into missionary dating. Kick them to the curb for Christ. That's going to be tweeted. (laughs) If your favorite show or movie or music glorifies stuff that Jesus died for, stop. Renounce it. Deny it. Get rid of it. Because it's impeding your relationship with Christ. If your source of confidence in your life is your intellect, your pride, or your accomplishments, it's time to think about, okay, how can I renounce the sources of pride in my life and boasting in my life in obedience to Christ? If your job puts you in a position where you have to compromise on a regular basis and sin, then it's time to renounce that job. I don't care how good it is or whether or not you have another one to fall back on, but it's time to deny that as a follower of Jesus in true obedience to Christ. If you're consumed, and and guys, this one hits home for me, by a desire for the latest and greatest. Tim Cook shows up on stage at the Apple events and I'm I'm like glued. I'm like, what do I want now, right? But if, if that consumes me, that's an idol and I need to, to get rid of that out of my life. Renounce that in obedience to Christ. Christ needs to be better than the latest and greatest whatever. Our social media accounts, man, I think we can all relate to that too. How many likes did my tweet get? How many likes did that Facebook post get? How many likes did that Instagram post get? Did anybody repost it? I mean, if your sense of worth and confidence and value is in your social media accounts, it's time to to renounce those, to deny them, to put them off in obedience to Christ. If you've got a problem with the internet and pornography, it's time to renounce your right to the internet in obedience to Christ. You say, well, I can't survive without the internet. Yes, you can. And it's worth it to try rather than to continue to be enslaved to something that is so damaging. Hopefully by now you get the point. Our obedience to Christ, our willingness to count the cost has to transcend lip service. If you've been saved, your love for Christ needs to produce in you a desire to be obedient to him, to renounce everything that you've had and to follow him, to count the cost, to say the the danger of ignoring the cost is too great, but I've got a love for Christ that makes anything I'm gonna have to give up worth it. Again, salvation is completely free, but there is a cost to discipleship. Salvation is a gift of God freely received through faith and repentance, but truly following Jesus will come with a great cost. But when we understand where we're following him, where we're going, it's totally, completely worth it. Again, you diet because you want to lose weight or fit into a smaller size or just to be healthier. You let the outcome of that drive, the the outcome of that drive your willingness to pay the price. 
or that gift that you want to save up for to give to somebody. You're, you're willing to, to make those sacrifices and, and to pay the price. Why? Because your, your joy that you know and what the outcome is going to be. And that's how it should be with our relationship with Christ. We need to be so consumed with the outcome, eternity with Jesus, that we're willing to pay the price that following him may require. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that in Christ we have a Savior who loves us, who even now it says in Hebrews is interceding for us, pleading his righteousness for us. A Savior who gave us strong and bold commands, Lord, that, that can seem hard, that can seem harsh even, and yet we know that, that as we consider the entirety of Scripture, Lord, he had the, the end in mind for us. And so these commands are not cruel. These commands are not because Jesus is a killjoy. These commands are because Jesus knows that eternity in heaven with you is so much better than anything that this world could offer us. So Lord, I pray that we would not be distracted by the mud pies, that we would not be distracted by the substitutes that this world holds out to us and says, be happy with this instead. Be satisfied with this instead of being satisfied with Jesus. God, may we be willing to, to count the cost. And we, may we have the, the right understanding of that. Lord, I pray that nothing I said tonight would lead anyone to, to conclude that they've got to work for their salvation, Lord. If it did, I pray that it would be forgotten immediately. We don't have to work for our salvation. That's the beauty of the gospel. But I, I just pray that we would be those that are serious and, and desiring to be obedient to our Savior now. Now that we're saved, to say, okay, what does it look like to be a Christian? It means to follow Christ. How do I do that? God, it's hard. I know it's hard. But I pray that we would have such a clear picture of what Jesus is offering us, eternity with him, that we'd be willing to make the, the sacrifice, whatever the cost. And in the meantime, God, I pray come quickly so that we can get through this world faster. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.